Welcome to Life to the Full, a message to Christians. This is a podcast about the abundant life that God promises in Scripture. We want to inspire those who are frustrated with themselves and their communities to live a transformed life that will impact the world. Our primary purpose is to be a platform that will impact the world through conversation. We want to invite others to connect and unite in curiosity, vulnerability, and responsibility. A transformed life is about growth, learning, and evolving. A transformed life leads to transformed communities, and transformed communities impact the world. One conversation at a time. Um, we are in our summer of scripture. And the focus this summer is on Paul or Summer of Saul or Rabbi Shaul. Hey, there's the puppy. Okay. So um, we let's, why don't we get started? I know we have uh, some of the participants. We have Dwight in the green room. And, hey, hey. Um, and for those who are on Facebook, same thing. Make sure you like the page. It's live to the full um yeah, I think it's called Life to the Full. Um, we are also in Patreon. Thank you. We had our first patron. Yay! Thank you what? for joining. I know Jimmy's going to, I don't know if you're going to give the person a shout out. I actually don't know. I'm assuming <laughs> who it is. But uh, please make sure we give a shout out to our very first supporter. That it is super exciting um, to be uh, supporting, supporting this work. So, guys. I know that Jimmy's not going to tell you this, but he spent a lot of hours, days putting these classes together. Uh, and um, yeah, so imagine doing a lot more classes. Uh, and I know that we plan to do trainings. We'll get in a band. We'll go to your your neck of the woods. We're happy to go to Wyoming. We're happy to go to Ohio. We're happy to go. You You let us know where we want. We'll be there. Is that right, Jimmy Zito? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I will get on my bicycle. I will get on my tricycle. And I will come to a neighborhood near you. And you will get this weird, amazing awesomeness uh, live in person. We'll breathe the same air. We'll exist in the same space. And it will be tons of fun. Cool. Well, I'm going to get off this screen. I'll pull up uh, everyone in here. We have Dwight in the house. We have Andre in the house. That's pretty hey. Hey. So welcome all of you uh, Bible nerds out there, all of, all of the greats who are going to be joining us as we get into Ephesians together. I hope you guys are excited. Uh, to get rolling and to get into this, uh, we are. I'm looking forward to being with you guys uh, again today. You know, I just came back from a like a retreat in Virginia. I drove uh, seven hours yesterday. Uh, I left early, uh, so I, I'm a little tired, but I'm excited to be here with you guys and to be doing all this uh, all this fun stuff. So if you're just joining us, we are in our summer of scripture. This is our summer of Saul, first ever summer of scripture and summer of Saul. We just finished our two-part series of getting to know uh, Paul or Rabbi Shaul, as I like to call him a little better. And uh, I seem to be having some kind of trouble with my slides. Not sure 
if I can fix that. But e either way, we, we can always we can always do it without slides if we have to. I am versatile. I can do this. Um, so cool. So every Sunday we have our seminars where we get together and we talk about Paul, we talk about Saul, we talk about uh, who he is, what his impact was on the world. Uh, this week we're starting our deep dive into Ephesians. We just finished up our two-part series of an intro to Paul, and now we're now we're getting into it. Now we're we're cooking, we're cooking along here, and we're getting going. So this is what we've done so far, just so you guys can see as we're moving along. We did our intro class. We did our two intros to Paul uh, or Rabbi Shaul, and now we're about to get into Ephesians. Tons of fun. If you have been following along with the reading, uh, which I hope you have been, and if, if you have, that's okay. We're still grateful to have you guys all here. Uh, we finished up Paul, a biography. Uh, this, uh, we finished that up, so that's been fun. And we've started How God Became King, uh, which is another great N.T. Wright book. Uh, so it's been it's been really cool. Um, now is the time. If you wanted to get it, I would recommend getting N.T. Wright, uh, a Paul for everyone. That's going to be the prison letters, what we're doing in Ephesians. Uh, it's just great if you want to be doing something every day, uh, which is going to keep you in Ephesians. His uh his Bible for Everyone series. It's just a it's just a masterwork of just making uh, these type of commentaries accessible to anyone. Most commentaries, I would say, just just use them as reference, you know. But there are those rare commentaries that you can really even use uh, for your everyday reading, just to really get into uh, the scriptures and just to really get uh, a good, uh, you know. As we're going through all this, you could you know go ahead. You can get NT Wright's perspective from like. I think it's 15 or 20 years ago, so it's pretty cool. Uh, the next thing you guys wanted to be looking out for is scripture journaling. If you wanted to get a scripture journal, now's the time that you want to get it. Uh, mine just came yesterday or, or the day before. I was away at my retreat when it came, but it's really, really cool. I'm excited to get into this. It's nice and small. I've heard people tell me, Jimmy, it's smaller than I expected. There's just like nothing to it. It really, it really is. It's kind of cool. You can kind of stick it into a backpack. You can even stick it into your back pocket. You can take it with you anywhere and you can do some cool scripture journaling with that. Okay. So let's move right along. All right. That's yep. Again, please don't forget support us on Patreon. If you want us to uh, do more amazing stuff like this, we had our first Patreon ever. I want to give him a shout out, Mr. Dwight Harbin. Thank you so much. We uh, super appreciate you and uh, all the ways that you've supported us over the years. So I'm going to give you a round of applause. I'm going to do a silent round of applause because my mic is right here and I don't want to blow it. Everyone's ears. But thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Very encouraging. All right. So let's go to Ephesians. So today we begin our deep dive into Ephesians. And uh, if you can, if we can skip to the next slide. So doing a deep dive, I just want to have like a quick opening thought as we're about to do this, because, uh, you know, doing a deep dive, uh, doing this type of deep reading of the scriptures, it can get to a point where it feels like, you know, I'm just getting a lot of information. I'm just getting a lot of information at me. And that could be fun, you know, for, you know, people like us, especially if you're listening to something like this, you're definitely a Bible nerd. Uh, so information is great. It's always good to learn more and more. But we want to make sure that, you know, we're also remembering that as we learn more, 
we want it to affect us. Uh, we want it to take us along on a journey. Anyone who's gone on a journey, whether it's a vacation to someplace they've always wanted to been, someplace they've always wanted to go to, uh, something that's just been a, a life-changing experience for them, traveling, going on exploration, it tends to change you know, who we are and how we, how we see the world. So we want to look at this deep dive more as like going on a cross-country hike you know, for those of us who love hiking, uh, I, I love hiking so much. I recently got uh, some poison ivy. I mean, I got it in my backyard, but, you know, same thing. I never actually got it uh, doing any type of hiking, which is funny. It took my backyard to finally defeat me or doing something like I like to call spelunking. Spelunking is pretty awesome. If you've never heard of it, it's um, so when most people think of like going to go into a cave, they think of like very commercial caves where there's nice cemented pathways. There's usually lights, like electric lighting. There might even be a gift shop or a like a place to stop for snacks, uh, which those are great. I love those caves as well. Uh, but the bigger caves, while they usually have a place that's for, you know, commercial for, for families, for people who ne maybe necessarily can't crawl around in the dark, right? They have those sections, but then they have another section that they call like the wild caving. Or they're, they're, you know, they're sections that are for people who want something different. And we want to think of going into the scriptures as going into that. We're going to get like a hard hat on. We're going to turn on the light. We're going to go with an experience guide. And, you know, it's one of those things where we're exploring something deep, something that's just mysterious, something that, you know, it's hard to really get a handle on. And every time you feel like you've hit the bottom, right, like we talked about in our first seminar, you realize, oh, wow, I thought I was at the bottom of the cave, but I actually can see that there's at least three or four more levels that I can that I can get a, a sense of, and there may even be more. So when we go on to these, uh, when we go on to these adventures, we go into these journeys in the scriptures, I really want to think of like that. And Dwight was saying, uh, did this in Kentucky at Mammoth Cave. Awesome. That is actually on my list. I've never been there. I did one in West Virginia. And I only ever did one I, I, and I was like a, a teen or a preteen, but it really just, it changed my life and I can't wait to go again and do that. But I like to, whenever I, I think about, okay, what are we doing here? Just please be careful. Let's just not make it. Okay. Information's washing over me. I'm learning more things. That's cool. Let's really have an experience of what we're learning. And even for just a little while, let's allow Paul to become a little strange. Even if we feel like, you know what, I've been reading Paul all my life. I've been reading Paul for, for years now. I really feel like I have a good idea of who he is and what he's talking about. Let's allow ourselves, let's give ourselves permission to allow Paul to become strange again. We want to try and be good readers of Paul and take him on his own terms, right? We want to leave behind our preconceptions. We want to really the only way to uh, overcome your own bias when reading something is kind of just to be aware that we have them. We all have, you know, biases are kind of like nose noses. We all have them. Right. And when we look at the world, we're all coming from a, a certain point of view and a certain place. And there's just really no way to get to get over that, even though we're going to be spending a summer going through something like Ephesians, there's going to be a lot of things that we're going to just have to be able to point out. Oh, there's there's some there's some cool stuff down that way. And uh, we're not going to be able to explore all of it. It's just the nature of the beast, like we were talking about before. Think of it as exploring a cave system, 
or some type of uh, cross-country experience. I like imagining a cave system where there's just these tunnels and levels, and we even really can't get a sense of where these things end uh, or where they're going to end up going. Uh, like I said before, I would recommend that you have some tools. I would recommend that you have a nice scripture journal, or even if you wanted to print out uh, your own. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to post this up someplace. I do have a sentence outline of uh, Tim Mackey's translation, his, his like literal literary translation of the book of Ephesians, which is, you know, it's kind of cool to have. Um, and he kind of broke it out, broke it out by sentences. So he's kind of sentence diagrammed that. So I'm going to put that in a link in the show notes. And uh, for you guys in the StreamYard classroom, I will send that as a, um, a Google Doc link to all you guys. So you guys can have that. Uh, but that's something that it's really good to have. With that, uh, if you have great handwriting, which I do not, I would get some colored pens. Uh, if you have okay handwriting, like myself, I would get some colored pencils uh, just so we can get into it, so we can start marking this stuff up uh, and that we can just we can just see it. Um, so those are the kind of tools that I would recommend having. And a commentary or two is always good if you're going to be looking at this stuff on your own. And then, you know, the one that I'm recommending is the Paul for Everyone series. It's just, it's just great. And he write is awesome. All right. So we're going to get into it. So we're going to open up. First thing we're going to do is we're going to start the letter. And uh, we're, we're not going to get very far. So we're going to kind of go through it together. Um, but, you know, we're going to look at what we've been looking at with these letters in our intro to Paul. And that would be what we call the prescripts. Right. So we're going to get into that together. We're going to look over in Ephesians 1, going to 1 to 2. And we see Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he kind of launches right into the letter. So we're going to go over a few things. Some things here are a little unique to Ephesians, right? So the first thing that we will notice, right, is we have saints. Now, so depending, now saints is a word you want to, you want to bracket, or you want to circle in your scripture journal, because anytime you encounter a word that you wouldn't use in real life, it's always going to take some type of unpacking. You're always going to have to be like, well, what is, what does that word really mean? Like, unless like, you know, it's, it's in your common language already, already, like you're talking to someone, oh, you're, you're such a saint, uh, or, oh, that's such a sweet thing to do. What a saint. Uh, or, you know, but usually even when we say stuff like that, like we have some type of uh, idea in our head that might not be the same as what Paul has. So when you think of saint, you could think of maybe like if you come from more of a Catholic background, you could think of someone who is exceptionally holy, exceptionally righteous. Maybe they have a, a festival day, they've been canonized, or, you know, they, they've been um, determined that they're a saint by some type of religious body. Or, you know, if you come from more of a tradition like that I come from, uh, Church of Christ, you think of, okay, well, I know from the book of Acts that, you know, saints are just Christians. So when I'm looking at saints, I'm just looking at Christians. So, you, you know, you come, come to it from there. But the word used there is holy ones. So when Paul talks about saints, he has like a different idea in his head, right? He's not thinking of anything Christian because like we talked about in an intro to, to Paul, there was no Christianity. Uh, Paul wasn't 
even necessarily a Christian, right? He was a Jewish follower of Jesus, uh, which, you know, sometimes we have to remind ourselves of that. But he is using the term holy one, uh, which in most Bibles, Bibles, it's usually translated as I said before, saints. So I have the ESV. The ESV usually does a pretty good job of trying to take uh, what the original language was and kind of make it, you know, almost like a one for one as best they can. It's not as good as the New American Standard and obviously not as good as going into the original languages. But here we're looking at, um, you know, holy ones. So when Paul uses the term holy ones, what would he be thinking? So, you know, if you wanted to make a note someplace, maybe in your scripture journal, that'd be a good idea. Or, you know, just just someplace or, you know, make a note of it for later. Uh, Israel collectively has in the Old Testament or the Hebrew scriptures was called a holy nation in Exodus 19, verse six. And when they did, when they acted the way they were supposed to as a holy nation, they were also called holy ones, you know, faithful, holy ones, like in the book of Leviticus 11, 44, 19, 2, 27, uh, 26, uh, and in Numbers 15, 40. So Israel together, when they're when they're existing the way that they're supposed to exist and their moments of of greatness or when we're talking about the ideal this is what they should be in um in the hebrew scriptures we get this idea of them being uh the holy ones and then the other one which sometimes comes as, as a surprise to some people are spiritual beings so that would be in like zechariah 14 5 psalm 89 5 through 7 daniel 8 through 24 so we have this concept of spiritual beings so when Paul is, you know, talking about uh, the holy ones, well, that's what that word means. His his uh, frame of reference obviously would be the Jewish scriptures. So he's thinking that he's thinking Israel or spiritual beings. Um, but what he talks about in the letter, as we'll see, we're kind of we're kind of just hitting some brief points here, so we can kind of get ourselves oriented, right? Anyone who trusts it as a disciple of Jesus, right, and the Messiah King Jesus you know, is also considered a holy one. Jesus is now ruling in heaven. He's ruling over these spiritual beings. He's ruling over the earth. Uh, and so that same status can get applied to people that follow him. So in Ephesians 2, verses 5 to 6, and we're just kind of getting a lay of the land here. So that's something that, you know, we're going to kind of let it hang there for now. We're not going to go too deep into what, what that could mean and the significance of that. But just keep in mind that when you see a lot of these words that, you know, you, you wouldn't use in normal life, you need to take some unpacking. The unpacking I just did for you right now is that holy ones, which is translated as saints, could be Israel or it could be spiritual beings. Uh, the other interesting thing to note is that where it says to the saints who are in Ephesus, okay, the other thing to know is that in a lot of important old manuscripts, the word in Ephesus is actually missing, right? So it's missing also, in a lot of references from early church fathers in their sermons or their letters, when they reference this letter, a lot of time they didn't they didn't say it was the letter from Ephesus or the letter to the Ephesians. So that's something to keep in mind. And so it's made a lot of people wonder that instead of this being a letter to a single city, what this could have been is what they call an encyclical. So a letter that kind of like would circulate all through the valley that Ephesus was kind of on the coast of. So if you think of modern day Turkey, you think of the coast, right? Ephesus kind of sat right there. It was a very, very important city, very, very big. 
and there was this long Roman road that kind of followed uh, the river, the Leicester River, and there were some prominent cities there. And so the idea would be that this letter could have been something that was circulating through all those cities. So, and there's some internal clues there too, to back this up. Uh, so if there's one place that we know Paul spent a lot of, right, if we're going by Acts and kind of like a reconstruction of, of what we think his life was like, Paul spent a lot of time in Ephesus. So it's very, very strange that, you know, Paul, like in typical of his other letters, didn't start name dropping all of the people that he knew, right? Because he knew uh, allegedly a bunch of people that would still be in Ephesus. So there's some internal clues there. Paul in, in a, his other letters typically names people who he, uh, you know, is referencing people he missed, people he has different instructions for, different greetings and all kind of fun stuff like that. Now, once we kind of get past uh, Ephesians 1, 1 to 2, the thing that you would typically expect, right? So this is our prescript going back to our last class and in intro to Paul. The thing that you would expect next is the reason why Paul is writing this letter. You'd want to know the purpose, right? So in the letter, the first letter to Thessalonians, oh, I'm so glad that I heard that you guys are still alive. <laughs> so I wrote you this letter because, you know, there was intense persecutions. Uh, Philippians, they just give, had given him a gift, right? Uh, Galatians, he was he was angry about a crisis. The Galatians didn't necessarily seem like to think that there was a crisis going on, but Paul sure did. And, you know, he talks about it right away. But in the letter to the Ephesians, we, we don't get that. We don't really get the purpose of the letter uh, right after the prescript like we would expect. Uh, and to find that, we would actually have to go. So there is a place in the letter where he talks about that. Right. And so this is kind of unique to Paul's letter. And that would be right in Ephesians three. It's kind of like right in the center of the letter. Right. He has this there's a lot of symmetry going on in chapters one through three. Right. And kind of three is the center. And then in four to six. Right. There's, there's some other symmetry, which we'll talk about soon. But here, Paul kind of gives his reason uh, for why why he's doing this. And we'll read this together here. In Ephesians 3, verse 1, it says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. So remember back to our prescript exercises. You would expect this to be, you know, in the prescript. Uh, he's a prisoner. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So the first thing we want to think about is, okay, where's Paul? Where's Paul? Where, where, where he? when he's writing this and you know, the obvious answer would be, well, he just says it right here in prison, right? Uh, Bible nerds love to uh, discuss and debate which imprisonment this was. Uh, that's not the focus of this class. We're not going to, we're not going to really get into it uh, right now. Um, but you know, Paul was imprisoned a lot. We do have what's called the prison letters. So if you get that NT right commentary, that is a commentary for the prison letters. So you'll get, 
Uh, I believe they do sell it separate, but uh, I think it's best to get it like all together. You get Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, and Philemon. So you get the prison letters kind of a commentary there. So collectively they're known as the prison letter letters. Um, so we, we find that out. The other thing that's going to take some unpacking is for this reason, I, Paul, prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you, of you Gentiles. So whenever you hear, whenever you read the word you in Ephesians, you have to make a mental note that it is different than the way we would use you in English, right? So in English, when I say you, right, it could mean you like an individual, or it could mean you, all of you, right? In Greek, that's not the, that's not the case. In Greek, they have two different words, right? One is for you, singular, and one is for you, plural. And every single time in the letter to the Ephesians, uh, when Paul says you, he means you all, right? Tim Mackey likes to say y'all. I don't know if that's a little too corny for you guys, uh, you know, uh, y'all, where uh, you can just say you all. But even when you're reading it out loud, it's a good practice to, you know, just make that point, you know, make that point when you read it. As we'll, we'll see, we're not going to do it now. It does change. It does change some things when you're... Um, when you're when you're reading it well I'll, I'll go through one way that it changes i remember uh first encountering the letters of paul first encountering uh you know ephesians in particular and i remember even people like you know using these scriptures right and saying well when when paul says this here insert your name right insert your name so in a lot of ways you know unfortunately a whole generation of christians have grown up feeling like paul's letters are speaking directly to them you know where, you know, that's not, that's not really Paul's intention. When Paul says you, he's speaking to a, a group, right? He's speaking collectively. And it's just something to keep in mind. This letter is written, it's, it's for us, right? It's, it helps us. It's important to us. But it wasn't necessarily written directly to me or you or to everybody in all time. He definitely had a specific people group, specific group of ecclesia, like we talked about last week in mind when he was going through this letter. So, and then, so here's kind of, we got our basic stuff. We got Paul's in prison, right? We talked about you because that's an important thing just to make a point of. Uh, and now we want to see, okay, so what is, what is Paul writing this letter about? So let's read it one more time and see if we can figure that out. Uh, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardships of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. Uh, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, as has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So there's some type of revelation that Paul has had that he wants to make sure that he communicates to, you know, depending on where you land to the city in Ephesus or to, you know, a whole bunch of churches in that area. So we're going to need to unpack revelation again. So again, you have to think about whenever I encounter a word, I just don't want to assume I know what that means. What did Paul actually mean when he used that word? So the word that's behind, um, Revelation is the word, the Greek word that we would translate into apocalypse, right? So when most people think of the word apocalypse, right? So he's literally saying 
we can put it back in here. Well, it's fine. Revelation, how the mystery was made to known to me by apocalypse, right? So when most people hear the word apocalypse, uh, what do you guys think? What are some things that people typically hear when they hear the word apocalypse? And then we'll, we'll break it down what Paul actually meant. Um, the end of the world, <laughs> like yeah. it's the end, the end times, you know, yeah. uh, and usually it's destructive. Like it's something destructive happening. Yeah. You know, like some catastrophes. It's like, ah, uh, you know, totally like Godzilla's coming out of the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or uh Megatron is coming back. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or, uh, you know, Jesus is going to come back and the world's going to get destroyed or there's a big asteroid coming or the sun's about to explode. What do you think, Dwight? What do most people? Uh, That's pretty much the same. Second coming, you know, some people are going to be taken away. Others are going to be, you know, left behind, you know, apocalypse. There's going to be the dragon and there's going to be this war in heaven. There's going to be all this stuff that's going to happen. You know, apocalypse. Horrible things, you know, Armageddon, all of that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I just finished up a hermeneutics class, which really is just a class on how to read the Bible uh, with Western Seminary. And my teacher, Todd Miles, who has a, he actually has a really cool podcast too. Uh, They're not very active, um, at least last time I checked. It's called Food Trucks in Babylon, which I just think is a great name. They like like food trucks and they're in Portland. I guess Portland is Babylon. Uh, great show. If you guys want to check it out, they interview some cool people. He was saying in the class that when he was a teenager, he took a class on, uh, oh, there she, Patty has the, <laughs> yes, they gave me a sticker when I went there. So yeah, I have a sticker, <laughs> Fruit Chucks in Babylon. Um, he, Todd Miles was saying that when he was a teenager, he took a, he had a choice of what class to take. And so he ended up taking a class on the book of Revelation. Uh, and the class in the book of Revelation really, it, it like terrified him because it would, it would break down like these are the nations that are going to fight against each other. Th- these are the things that are going to happen and Jesus is going to come back and the world's going to be destroyed. And they actually had maps and charts. And when he got to the end of the class, he was like, I don't know. I don't want anything to do with Jesus. This, this, this is, if that's who Jesus is, like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to know this guy at all. Uh, so yeah, I think to a lot of people, uh, the word apocalypse could have these overtones or these undertones, undercurrents, connotations of the end of the world. I think a lot of people, you know, when they read this, unfortunately, uh, they read it as, okay, Paul here is talking about the end of the world. You know, John in the book of Revelation is talking about the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is going to come back and he's going to destroy everything. But that definition couldn't be farther from the truth. <laughs> when you come to what, what the actual word means when we talk about the word apocalypse, uh, it literally and metaphorically means to turn on the lights. You could have an apocalypse by covering something with a sheet and then taking off, taking the sheet off and uncovering what's underneath. Every time you learn something new about the universe, you've technically had an apocalypse, right? You've had an apocalypse because now you know something, something that was previously uh, hidden to you, right, has now been illuminated, right? Paul here is basically summarizing his apocalypse, you know, and I think this is this is kind of cool for me. I'm, I'm a science nerd as well. 
I like thinking about, you know, different dimensions. You know, we can, we can experience, I guess, three dimensions, like right now, you know, we can think length, width, and height, right? We can kind of conceive of what physicists tell us is the fourth dimension. That would be time, you know, but depending on the latest theory of physics, there could be 11 dimensions, there could be 31 dimensions, there could be all these other dimensions that we can't perceive of. And uh, you actually can put on like a virtual reality like setup, right? And you can kind of play with some of these five dimensional or higher dimensional objects, you know, in virtual reality, which uh, I've never gotten a chance to do, but I've done some research for it. I thought, you know, it'd be cool to, to bring to a school one day or to bring to a science program because you guys, some of you guys know that I, I do some of that as well. Uh, but Paul here, he's summarizing his apocalypse, right? And so when you look at it and you're like, okay, wow, like what did God reveal to Paul? It's a little surprising at first because uh, it doesn't seem that exciting, I think, to most people who read it. Um, it's I feel like in many ways it's so like not exciting to many of us that many of us read it and we don't even realize that we just read it, right? Because sometimes when we read the Bible, we're, we're kind of just we're going through the motions. So how the mystery was made known to me by revelation or apocalypse. I had an apocalypse as I've written briefly. So when he says I've written briefly, right, he's talking, he's not talking about another letter, right? Because this is in chapter three. We're talking about, you know, chapters one through three, right? Paul's written about this apocalypse. Um, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. So Christ has done something which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So what was revealed to Paul or his apocalypse was that the Gentiles now shared in the family of God, right? So that was the big revelation to Paul, and it can seem strange to us. I bet if we had a, a top 10 list of the things that we'd want Paul to answer or we want Paul to let go off on, it wouldn't be how the, Jew, the Jewish race or you know the Israelites and the Gentiles are now one. We would almost make him to say, you know, okay, here's the apocalypse that's giving you, you know, the secret to salvation or the secret, you know, to, to get to heaven or the secret of righteousness or the secret of, you know, living a great life. But, you know, instead his apocalypse was, was this, you know, and that's, you know, something I want to, I want to pause and I want to ask you guys, is that something that seems strange to you? You know, is that something that you like, you know, I know you guys haven't read Ephesians. Uh, this isn't your first time reading it, but would this even be on your top list of things you want Paul to answer? <laughs> Just curious. Um, I, I, I feel like, well, I feel like that's like pretty interesting because I just thought about like how an apocalypse is always projected into the future. Like, mm -hmm. so no, when any, whenever somebody uses apocalypse, it's always about like a future, right? Like something about like, I think it's usually like, like, the, right. Like the end of the world, the end of time, like something about what happens when you die and apocalypse is never like a right here, like right now kind of thing. Like, something could be it's always like something about getting i don't know i guess like going somewhere else 
Mm-hmm. And then like, I think that's true. Like, I think, I do think the way that we can kind of think about an apocalypse is sort of like, you're right. Like we would, ex- I, th- I think that's true. Like we would expect Paul to say something about it got something to do with like a salvation thing or righteousness. Like, I, I think that's the mindset. Maybe it's like, like maybe like in the Western kind of like mindset, but I do think like there does seem to be like, at least like from what I noticed is like some sort of focused on if God was going to like reveal something, it usually has something to do with like morality or right the way that you should be. And like, what Paul is like saying is like, it's something about uniting people together. It's usually Mm -hmm. like the thing that most people wouldn't like, I feel like, like what Paul is trying to like, what he kind of saw was like, it was something about unity, something about, you know, like how people can be united. Like that's like the revelation. But I feel like most of the time what we look for is something to like, I don't know, like either like exclude people or or like uh something that can kind of like if it was about like the the latest morality code was mm. revealed yeah. to us you know and it's like yeah yeah it's something to boost us up you know like instead of like it being something about yep. we cannot get to get get along if that makes sense yeah it can seem strange i know what you're saying cuz it's like well what does this have to do with me? You know, like what is Israel and Gentiles that, that doesn't seem to be my problem anymore. You know, the church isn't made up of, you know, Jewish members and, you know, pagan members, you know, even, um, you know, thinking of some of us as pagans before we found the church is kind of strange too. Cause I don't know anyone who sacrificed to Zeus or, you know, like really had a trouble worshiping other gods uh, in terms of like little statues before they came here. So it can feel like, what does this have to do with me? What do you think, Dwight? Well, the whole idea of, of what the, the real meaning of apocalypse was, you know, the first time I heard it explained, you know, as a revealing or an uncovering, you know, I, it was, it was a while back, but I got really excited. You know, the whole thing of revelation, Yep. I got really excited. I wanted to share it with other people and, you know, and seeing this here, you know, and, and understanding even with Jesus, you know, that, hey, you know, his purpose was, you know, uniting, you know, and, and that this whole thing of bringing people back together and, you know, and being more inclusive and all, I'm just like, oh, well, okay, this is really <laughs> the message of the gospel, you know, the whole thing of the kingdom. And I'm like, Oh, whole new meaning. You know, the whole thing was Paul, you know, and really this is like ah, gospel. Yeah. So it, it got me really excited. The juice is flowing. So yeah. Cool. Very, very exciting. Very exciting. So, you know, not to yeah. be a spoiler now, but yeah, back when I first saw it, I was like, ah, yes. So, yeah. Very- so when you first uh, learned the, the-, the true definition of the word apocalypse? apocalypse, revelation, whatever, you know, interchange, but that it wasn't this gloom and doom thing, but yeah. what it really meant. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's really cool. Uh, 
do you guys think this would be on people's top five lists of like what they would want Paul to explain if we can get Paul in a Q and a, what do you guys think? Yeah. Yeah. You think it would be? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe, but I don't know. I feel yeah. like people might have different like sets of questions. Yep. Well, well, depending on where people were standing, you know, mm. uh, you know, where they were then, especially, you know, um, that would definitely be an issue then, you know, especially yeah. then. Maybe, you know, so far as explaining what the issue was then, maybe people wouldn't be as excited now unless they're trying, trying not understanding what the purpose was, but it was definitely an issue for them then, understanding that it was bringing together because it was an issue with Jews and Gentiles, for sure, with Greeks. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, see what you, I see what you guys are saying. I think for me, it's like, I think on one hand, I can feel like, I think most people aren't going to Ephesians to try and work out how Israel and the, and the nations can become one, you know? Uh, but on the other hand, I, I you know, as, as we're going to closely go into this, it is, it is exciting once you kind of, you know, wrap your head around, uh, you know, why this was important to Paul. So let's actually talk about that. Let's talk about maybe why this, some of this stuff was important to Paul. So we have basically Paul's apocalypse, right? What, what he experienced. So Paul uses the word apocalypse in his other letters as well. Um, and I'm just, I just want to point out one to you guys. We're going to go to Galatians. Galatians 1. And we're going to go, we're going to skip down to verse 15. I might actually back up a little bit. Yeah, we're back up to 13. It says, for you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. When God, who set me apart from birth, and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. So that word reveal there, uh, the same word that's behind reveal is also, you guessed it, apocalypse, right? So here, the translation committee decided to translate it as reveal, you know, and it kind of set his life on a different trajectory, right? Revealed his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So God was doing something where he was bringing together, right? His holy people, his holy ones, the nation of Israel with the nations. There was some type of reconciliation going on there. And, you know, when you learn how to spot it, Paul talks about it everywhere. Even if we go to, you know, Paul's conversion in Acts. And, you know, 
I'm, I'm sure you guys know this, but Paul talks about his conversion in three different places, right? Which is, which is kind of cool. Uh, it's actually very, very unhelpful to call it Paul's conversion. So I apologize that I, I called it that uh, because it implies that Paul converted uh, from something that was almost like inferior. Like he was a Jew and then he converted to Christianity. I like to think of it more as Paul's transformation, right? This is, or Paul's, Paul's apocalypse and, and what happened to him there. So in Acts 9, we have him on the road to Damascus, right? He's, there's that blinding light. He's knocked from his horse and he hears a voice from heaven, you know, talking to him. He had, he had a moment where he had this happen. Um, and then in Acts 22, right, in front of a bunch of Jews who are angry with him and, you know, kind of with the protection of the Roman guards who allowed him to speak to them, right? And even they even rescued him from getting uh, killed at one point because they were about to jump on him for some of the stuff he was saying. He describes his conversion as a light and a voice. And every time he tells it, we kind of get a little bit more uh, information. And then finally in Acts 26, right, he's talking to King Agrippa. Right? He's talking to a bunch of Gentiles and we get, you know, even more details. We get a light and a voice. We have Jesus speaking in Hebrew, all types of really cool stuff. And, uh, you know, it's the same type of thing. There's, there's some type of revelation, even though the word apocalypse per se isn't used. It's, you know, light from heaven and a voice that's apocalyptic language. So, you know, Paul is talking, you know, where, where most people would insert, even in my NIV Bible, it clearly says in the, in the, in the subheading, Paul's conversions. Paul's conversion in Acts 9, which, you know, Paul never talks, talks about it as his conversion. Uh, the book of Acts doesn't really talk about it, about his conversion. He talks more about, you know, how he was, he had this apocalypse. He had this revelation of Jesus and it changed everything. He was the Messianic Jew. He was a Jew who believed in Jesus and that changed everything. Uh, so to kind of, to kind of talk about Paul and his, and his apocalypse, uh, we need to kind of get our, our head around like some different language, right? And this isn't necessarily a Christian idea. Uh, this isn't, no, this isn't, this isn't even Paul's idea. This isn't something Paul came up with. This is a, this is a biblical idea. So this is an idea. This is a worldview that Paul would have inherited from the Bible, right? So if you think about some of our worldviews that we have, you know, like one of our worldviews can be the earth is round, right? The earth is spinning. The earth is orbiting around the sun, right? The sun is orbiting around the center of the galaxy and our galaxy is hurtling through space towards something big. We can't see it. We call it the great attractor. And there's other big galaxies kind of around us and we're, we're all together. That's kind of our worldview. You know, I remember teaching science uh, and we would go through um, in earth science, the different revolutions when people used to think the world was flat. You know, they think, you know, people... You know, as the story would go, people thought the world was flat. People thought that the the sun went around Earth. Earth was just like a, a flat plane or a disc, right? And then it was, you know, people would say that was religious motivated because people said that they were reading that in the Bible. That's the way it must be, you know, not understanding the Bible is not, in fact, a science book, right? It's, it's different. It's, a, it's ask, trying to answer different questions. But I remember teaching science. And some of my students would laugh. I, I taught high school. They would laugh like, how could anybody think that, Mr. Zito? How could anyone think that the world was flat? And I was like, well, you prove it. Prove it to me right now that the world's not flat. You know, I can do it. I know how to do it measuring angles of shadows. 
and uh, you know, showing up to the same place different times of the year to noticing how the sun's changing on the sky. But most normal people <laughs> wouldn't know how to do that. So the point I'm making here is that we've inherited this worldview, right? Unless you're, you know, Bezos or Branson, you haven't been up to space yet, or one of the lucky astronauts uh, to see the circle of the Earth, right? It's nothing that we necessarily have ex experience on. We've seen like the NASA photographs, right? Uh, but that's kind of a worldview that we've <laughs> inherited. Patty said not yet because Patty wants to go to space. So if you want to help Patty get to space, please pray <laughs> that we can get Patty to space because Patty wants to go and. Uh, she wants, I think she wants to meet aliens or she wants to, she wants to go out there and, and go to space. But I, I think that's an awesome dream. And that'd be something that I'd love to see happen. But, you know, there's, there's this idea of a worldview. So a worldview is, is a, a way of conceiving about the universe that we usually inherit from our culture. We inherit nowadays from the school system sometimes, but Paul had a specific worldview that was inherited uh, by him by basically the scriptures. And that was the idea of heaven and earth, heaven and earth, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens, the earth, and all the vast array. You know, so there's this idea of heavens and earth as distinct spaces that do overlap, right? So if you think about uh, Jacob and his ladder, or really like, you know, his, his, you know, kind of the temple that he saw. Uh, when he fell asleep and he saw angels or spiritual beings ascending and descending, right, on this ladder or set of stairs, ziggurat, right? Uh, that is a that was a place. And he and when he woke up, he's like, I didn't even know this was the very gateway to God, you know? So that so he named it Peniel, right? So a place like that is a place where heaven and earth overlap, and it, it can happen anywhere. It can happen anywhere at different times. For the Jewish conception, where it especially happened was in the temple and where it was especially present was in the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, where the high priest could only go once a year, where God's spirit was said to dwell, right? So they're distinct spaces that occasionally overlap. The heavens, right? And in the Hebrew Bible, it's never described as just heaven, right? Even though a lot of times it's translated like that, it's the heavens, plural, right? is God's space. That's where, that's where God exists and where other spiritual beings exist as well. Right. Uh, like the host of heaven, the divine council, the Bible project, there's a great series of videos on those. They're really short. They're really cool looking just to kind of wrap your head around what those spiritual beings are. If you're looking for a great book, I'd recommend Mike Heisner's book, uh, the unseen realm. That is a fantastic book. I would save it for October because <laughs> even, you know, around Halloween, because even, even though it's like, you know, it's a book on spirits and spiritual beings in the Bible, uh, even though it's, you know, it's a, it's a impressive piece of scholarship. It can definitely get you like looking around the corner and, and thinking about, you know, things that you can't necessarily see that still, you know, may be there, you know? So this is Mike Heisner's book, uh, Unseen Realm. So that's the heavenly realms. And then you have earth, and that's humanity. And the ideal state, right, the way God set it up on the opening story of the Bible, as we talked about uh, when we, we looked at our big chart, uh, which I don't have today for you guys to look at, is that in the garden, right, the garden that was in Eden, not Eden, right, Eden was just a place, but there was a garden in Eden, right, so you get these 
these tiers of spaces, uh, that was that was almost like a temple. That was a temple where God dwelt, and He dwelt with the people He had just created, Adam and Eve, His image bearers, right? So heaven and earth is is a place where these things overlap. So in Paul's worldview, right, when he has an apocalypse, he's in one of those spaces. When he sees the light and he sees the voice, right, he's in one of those spaces where suddenly, surprisingly, heaven and earth have come together, right? And then when he was having his apocalypse, he saw Jesus. And when he saw Jesus, his response to that apocalypse was, I have to unite Israel and the nations because what Jesus has done has changed everything, right? So when Paul has this apocalypse, he's in a, in his mind, he's in a space, you know, some people, some scientists, not scientists, some researchers have said, oh, maybe Paul had a seizure, right? Maybe Paul, you know, had some type of mental illness, maybe had schizophrenia. Uh, people had said, you know, maybe this was exaggerated, you know, whatever happened to Paul, um, you know, in Paul's mind, it would have been, this is a coming together of heaven and earth, right? And then if, you know, if we kind of believe N.T. Wright with his his uh, his idea of what happened with Paul after he had that encounter with Jesus, he would have went into Arabia and, you know, which would have been the Sinai Peninsula. He would have went to Mount Horeb of Sinai and he would have sought out a high place and spent three years thinking about, okay, if Jesus is true, right? Because I met the guy, right? They killed him, but I met him. I, re- I met the resurrected Jesus. What does this mean? How does this change things? And when he examined his Torah, right, when he examined his Tanakh, when he thought through his Jewish scriptures, what he came up with was my response to this apocalypse is I need to unite Israel and the Gentiles under Christ. So when Paul had this experience, he had a before. There was one way he was before he had this apocalypse. There was Paul during the apocalypse, and we hear about it in three separate times in Acts. Right. And we hear we hear about it in different places in Paul's letters. Right. And then there was a response. And coincidentally, when you look at the book of Ephesians, right, because I, I brought you to chapter three, which is where Paul is kind of stating his purpose. If you look at chapters one to three, you know, even as he says before, you know, as I have written briefly, meaning chapters one through three, Paul basically is describing his apocalypse or he's trying to comprehend his apocalypse, right? He states his purpose of of what that apocalypse did to him. And then coming out of chapter three, going into four through six, right? Paul is inviting us to have our own apocalypse. So in a sense, the book of Ephesians is a literary apocalypse that you can carry around your pocket and you can open up anytime And you can read it from the opening line to the end of line. And what Paul is hoping that you get out of this is that you have your own comprehension of the apocalypse, right? Because he says even more, even deeper, increase in knowledge, right? So in Paul, it's very, very similar, right? And and to that splunking metaphor that we used earlier, that if Paul is talking about the richness, the depths of God's grace and God and this apocalypse that we're supposed to be comprehending, the floors are just never ending, 
there's there's more stuff to to find out about this to learn to experience but it's not just about learning right because there should be a response paul's life was changed from his apocalypse and the author of ephesians paul here writing ephesians is hoping that the people reading this will have an apocalypse of their own and to paul the most important thing to be talking about right this is this is why he does what he does this is why what he do what he do right is to wake up every day and you know put his life on the line to go out there and t- try and unite israel and the nations so let's have a quick talk about that let's I talk for a while here so let's ask this question first. Paul having an apocalypse and inviting you to have one change the way you read or see this letter in any way? Or has it changed? Maybe maybe it's not from this class. Maybe it's changed in the past. What do you guys think? I think it does, Um, especially taking into consideration your explanation of the difference in the building of his description of his transformation through the his encounter with Jesus and the building of the way it, it was shown mm. I, I think it definitely changes the way I, I see this this way I read this you know his explanation his his showing his his apocalypse and then his invitation for others to have that especially you know, the famous verse, uh, uh, discourse on, you know, how he wants them to have a deeper understanding and all of that, that, mm-hmm. that definitely moves me to under, understand and read that differently. Yes. Yeah. Cool. What do you think, Andre? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think, I think that's a pretty interesting, I don't know, I really, I think I really, I don't know, I think I really like that to have like, to have like this like experience. I don't know, I Hmm. honestly, it's like, I I feel like this is like, that's never been a thought before Hmm. about like Ephesians ever. It's like Paul had an experience, so uh, you know, you're invited to have an experience too. I kind of feel like, I mean, like, I don't know. Like, I don't think I would ever really heard that, mm. like, before. Um, but I really like that, though, because I don't know. I guess, yeah, maybe because I guess, like, seeing seeing that it can kind of seeing that it can happen, seeing that it could kind of happen with Paul. And then Paul 
actually saying like, hey, like, you know, I want you to have this apocalypse too. Yeah. Like, that, I think that's pretty cool. Especially because now I feel like my mindset is kind of thinking about like, oh, wow, like it must be pretty great to have an apocalypse. Like, mm. because it's not so, it's not so focused like in the future or it's not imagining it as like, an apocalypse is like something bad that happens. Cause I think usually it's seen as apocalypse is bad, but an apocalypse, mm-hmm. at least like from like how they're kind of using it seems like it could be a positive thing. Like, you know, God gives you an apocalypse and it's like, Oh great. Like this must be like something great. So I actually feel like that's like a lot more encouraging of mm-hmm. a, you know, like message. Yeah. Yeah, it is really cool. And like when, um, you know, a prophet or Paul here has an apocalypse, typically in scripture, it's God's tuning them into a present reality that might not seem that that's a reality for us here. You know, like you think of um, Elijah seeing the army of God, you know, God, God encouraging him with that, you know, surrounding the hills. Um you know, God revealing to, you know, different people, different times. You think about Daniel, right? When, when he prayed, when he prayed, he prayed and fasted, I think it was about a week, two weeks. Uh, it was a long time. It was longer than I would ever want to pray or fast. Uh, you know, the archangel comes and says, you know, as soon as you knelt in prayer, I was dispatched to your side, but I was delayed by, you know, the prince of the North or, or something like that. Some other spiritual being, um, you know, in the scriptures. So the, the idea is that, you know, there are these present realities that we're not fully aware of, right? Jesus says, had the ultimate victory over all the powers, as we'll talk about uh, in the weeks to come, but it doesn't seem like that, right? If you walk mm-hmm. out of your house any given day, it doesn't seem like Jesus has any victory over death. People still die. I'm going to die. All of us here are going to die one day. Uh you know, people are dying all the time. It doesn't seem like human evil has been dealt with. You know, people people often uh, engage in self-destructive behavior that hurts themselves and others. So, yeah. So, I don't know, something, something about what you said made me think about that. <laughs> Andre. <laughs> uh, but what do you guys think about the whole understanding like heaven and earth as distinct places that can overlap? Do you think that's important for understanding apocalypses? And do you think it's going to, you know, affect the way we read this letter going forward? Hmm. Is that that a concept you guys are familiar with? Heaven and earth? Uh, Since I'm, you know, familiar with Tim Mackey and, you know, what he's done, it, you know, pretty much familiar with it and doesn't i mean so kind of reading it in context gotcha if we didn't understand that context what what do you think are some things that could happen reading that do you think it matters to understand that Hmm. you mean the heaven and earth heaven and earth right Understanding heaven and earth overlaps and where they do, people can have apocalypses. They can have things revealed to them. Hmm. Yeah. I think the thing you just said about like, you know, like 
it doesn't actually I don't know if I even I don't know if I can even solve that one. But like <laughs> the death, like, you know, well people still die and there's still violence and stuff like that. And I yeah. feel like well, I don't know. I, I really honestly cannot I don't know if I can explain that. But like I think there's something about like the heaven and earth thing where it's kinda like, well, like even though like is I don't know. I guess like heaven and earth come back together. What would that Jesus comes back? I don't know. What what would that look like? I have no idea, but like, at least like for like our present, like reality, like if we saw like, like Paul was like thinking about like Paul, I think is like, okay, he has like this, like a, this, this apocalypse. And then he's like, okay, like Gentiles, and Jewish people, all right, like we can be together. And then like he he did it like in his present reality and he tried to watch it come together. So I, I think it's almost in the same thing where it's like the heaven and earth, like right now you can do something, you know, and you can bring like, even though it's not like there's still violence, I mean, like, but you can still bring like heaven and earth like together, you know, like right now. Um, otherwise, like, I feel like if you don't, if you don't think about like the heaven and earth, you know, right now, I mean, I heard somewhere before, like, you know, like the present moment is, is really like the only moment you technically like have. So you think about like right now is like, you know, the time that you can kind of, you know, like do anything. But I think if you take the heaven and earth aspect away, like, you know, then it's like you you could be like because it can turn into like the escape thing where it's like you know well there's nothing that we can really do now so we'll just kind of wait until the end and it'll be all better but you know it seems like the apocalypse though is kind of saying like oh but like you can have one right now though and then you can like live like something transformed now so you Mm -hmm. can live into that type of like future yeah which that seems like i don't know i mean that's that seems like pretty like a pretty neat neat thing yeah i I think it's a pretty neat thing too and uh you know if if you guys finish the reading too what my favorite chapter in that book is uh in paul a biography is uh chapter 12 i think it's 12 or 13 it's called the problem of paul and he kind of goes through, like, and he talks about, you know, it seems strange at first that Paul's like defining purpose of his life was uniting these two ethnic groups or uniting ethnic groups in general. Uh, but then when you think about it, like, what is more fundamental to the human condition than groups of people not liking each other, <laughs> not getting along, and all the terrible things that happen? Uh, you know, in the course of human history where people decide like that they're not going to not going to play nice in the sandbox. They're not going to get along. They're not going to respect each other's uh, boundaries and, you know, wars, death, destruction and all, you know, all that fun stuff. So just something to think about with with the we just done. Let's uh, let, let's talk about that actually for a second. So in Paul's response to his apocalypse, the response is uniting different ethnic groups. What do you guys think about that? Like, what, why do you think that would be something that'd be so impactful 
to Paul, you know, why do you think that was so important to him? No wrong answers. Well, if if heaven and earth are going to be, you know, if they're if they're brought together in the apocalypse, you know, if they're, you know, adjoining, you know, parts, you know, then you know, bringing the nations together. It's going to have to be part of that anyway. You know that's that was the you know that was the ultimate goal in establishing Israel was and Abraham's promise was to have the nations. You know Israel was mm. in fulfillment was to have the nations together. You know and that's part of the gospel. So the apocalypse for you know Paul. <laughs> was that in fulfillment so i think that was the important part cool awesome guys and then looking forward to next week uh we're going to do a quick exercise real quick in um, ephesians 1 uh beginning in verse 3 um it's if there was like a, a storage closet in the bible of like popular christian terms that you hear like thrown around uh, Ephesians 1, 3 to 14 would probably be where you would go to find them. <laughs> so we're going to read it, re- read through it together uh, as, as I'm reading, if you guys want to just jot it down. And then I'm going to ask you to just list some common words you hear from followers of Jesus or in churches. And uh, if we have time, we're going to just briefly des- describe or define how some people would use these terms. Does that make sense, guys? Cool. I'll, I'll start now. So Ephesians 1. Beginning in verse 3, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves in him. We have redemption through his blood for the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head even Christ. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who are the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is also a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So anything that jumped out at you guys? Predestined. Go ahead. Predestined. Okay. Yep. That one jumped out at me. 
Uh, well, chose us, first to hope, marked with a seal, um, blah, 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 blah. Uh, deposit guaranteeing inheritance. Are you, are you going through so fast? I'm just trying to. Oh, sorry. So there's forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness that of one. sin. Yeah. There's God's grace. Yeah. Let's see. It's predestined a few times. Yeah. Salvation. It's one you hear a lot. Yeah. Okay. What about predestined? What do you guys think predestined means? Or most people would define it as. It's probably better for this group. Pick, pick before, yeah. <laughs> pick before. What? What do you mean? But before what? Yeah, you're gonna be in no matter what. You know, it's kind of like, you know, God knew beforehand you were gonna be one. Yep. So, would you? Yeah. Do you have something to add to that, Andre? Of what you think predestined is? Yeah. Yeah, I I don't know. I guess that would be it. Like, I guess God knew that. Oh, it's, I feel like that's kind of like on one. So I guess like on one hand, it's almost like if I'm a Christian and then I read this and I'll be like, see, God knew that you were going to become hmm. a Christian. Like it was like it was destined that. You know, like, I guess this will happen. And then maybe I'm thinking about the other thing where it's like, sometimes I feel like it's like, I don't know, like you, I don't know. Maybe it's almost like it can seem like it doesn't apply. Like it wouldn't apply. Like, you know, if I, if I wasn't, if I wasn't like, I guess it's a weird predestination thing where it's like, if I wasn't a Christian, I don't know. Maybe when you just kind of look at this, like, okay, like if I was a Christian, it's like no one was thinking about this like before. Hmm. I guess like they were a Christian, but yeah. once I'm a Christian, it makes it like it makes more sense. But sure, yeah, yeah, awesome, yeah. It's you know traditionally like Calvin, Calvinists, right? Believe yeah, predestination. You were chosen before you were born. God knew who he was going to, who, who he had chosen and who he, he didn't, you know, and usually that's married with those he chose or predestined are going to go to the good place, heaven, and those he didn't are going to go to the bad place. Or as my mom likes to say, H-E double hockey sticks. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what about blessing? What do you guys hear when you think, when people use the word, oh, I'm so blessed, the blessings, what is that typically? Got the goods. <laughs> Got the goods. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What do you mean by the goods? All the good stuff. Mm, too know, blessed to be stressed. I've yeah, heard that before. Good good things. Um, never having never having anything bad. Just easy life. Good good things. Yeah. What about grace? What do you guys think? 
most people would describe grace as uh, the unmerited, the unmerited favor mm. of God. Well, I feel like that's usually a phrase. Like I usually, yeah, I usually hear. Yeah, that's a that's a good one. About you, Dwight. Pretty much the same thing. Getting things you don't deserve. Mm-hmm. Like, um, would you say it's fair to say that it's uh, like grace is something you can't earn, uh, and it it doesn't matter like necessarily what happens unless you like entirely walk away from God. You're still mm-hmm. you're still under grace. Yeah, that's that's what I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe yeah. you know, there'd be two different camps, right? If you're straight Protestant, you like you know grace. There's no works, no works based grace. Yeah, yeah. more like uh, you know our tradition. It's uh, you know it's the two w- wings of the airplane, right? Great. Yeah. You know, faith without works is dead. So yes, you're under grace, but you know, you're you're turned into grace by your faith. And if you're not actually working out your faith, uh, yeah. that might not be so good. You might lose your grace. Um, what about salvation? What do you guys think most people would describe that as? Uh, probably, yeah, I guess like, you know, you, you know, you believe in Jesus, uh, you know, believe in Jesus, forgiveness of sins. I mean, and I, you know, you're okay with God, go to heaven. Uh, I feel like that's usually typically like how it's used. Sure. Yeah. Like uh, go to heaven, like when you die kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. By you, Dwight. Yeah, pretty much you come to a point, you're saved. That's it. Um, although some people kind of think that's like the free ticket and forget that Paul talks about working out your salvation with fear and trembling, you know, it's kind of like you're not constantly kind of just not that you're walking a tightrope, but you're walking with God, you know, so kind of like not just a one point, you know, I don't know. That's great, man. No, I appreciate that because it, yeah. it is it is something that you know you can kind of hear, you know, thrown around, and you know it does mean yeah. different things to different people. Yeah. So it's cool. So, yeah, I thought I saw one more, but now I can't find it. Um, uh, which I thought was cool when I saw it. Oh, redemption through His blood. Yeah. That's a good one. What do you guys think that one means to most people? Even just taking taking out through his blood, you could just talk about redemption. Uh, yeah, I guess being brought, yeah, being brought back, yeah, brought back to God. Yeah, it's a good one. Being brought back to God, maybe uh, you know Jesus had had to pay the price because uh, mm-hmm. God was gonna you know needed to you know needed blood for some reason. You know, yeah. to, uh, yeah. there needed to be blood to atone for what we have done yeah. uh, individually, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. 
Awesome, guys. Well, that, that's a thank you guys so much for participating in the exercises. I know it's always uh, stressful to do work like this in real time. Um, <laughs> I enjoy it. Uh, I hope you guys did too, because it's just it's one of those things where, you know, when we're thinking through things, it's just important to be like, well, especially with a lot of this language from the scriptures, you know, mm -hmm. like I, I don't, you know, there's the Message Bible. I'm not a huge fan of the Message Bible, although I know my favorite underground Christian band loves the message bible that would be bono and you too uh, you know uh, i know they're they're a huge fan of the message bible uh so there's that route but i think with a lot of these things we just we need better words and mm -hmm. uh, you know we're going to be spending a lot more time than we are in the other chapters and kind of like the beginning chapters of ephesians just to kind of decode everything uh but a great homework assignment for you guys would be try and read through the letter of ephesians this week at least once cover to cover out loud and when you hear you i want you guys to get texan i'm gonna go for it and say y'all you all yep extra points if you record yourself wearing a cowboy hat <laughs> i can do that real good y'all <laughs> Or with a cool backdrop in Wyoming, maybe like with some actual cows going by. It comes real natural, really <laughs> natural, y'all. <laughs> and for any of you guys listening out there too, if you wanted to record yourselves and uh, post it on, I know one person in particular who's listening that does own a cowboy hat. Uh, Daniel? Yes, I was going to say his name. Thanks, Patty. Yeah. <laughs> in his motorcycle. Ah, uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Drop a comment if you are going to do that. <laughs> Did you have something to say, honey? Are you just coming for the end? I'm coming for the end. I do have uh, the link because leaving a review on the podcast on iTunes, iTunes sorry, uh, helps more people to see this. Guys, if you are liking the class, share it in social media, tell your friends. Um, Jimmy, we have, let me see, I think we have 10 spots. So those, if you want to come live, you could do that. Or you could do it like Daniel McCoco. He watches it on Facebook. Yeah. Or shout out to, uh, I was going to say Hunter, but it's Rob, <laughs> joining us in uh, the YouTube uh, Oh my goodness, I said the YouTube. Why did I do that? Oh, honey. Influence YouTube channel. We're old. We're not as cool as the youngins. Oh, wow. Amazing. We say the YouTube and the internet. I'm excited to dive into it. Um, so I'm so happy we got it. It's uh it's it's six dollars. So super affordable. Not bad. Ours is on the way. Pam wanted one as soon as she saw it. Cool. <laughs> Two other people ordered it. Nice. Be nice. So exciting. That's it is exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, uh, you know, Dwight and Andre for joining us, uh, participating. And yeah, so again, please leave a review on iTunes. Thank you. Shout out to Dwight. Oh my goodness, double shout out for supporting us on Patreon. Yep. And we'll put that link in the comment as well. And, uh, you know, it's tradition to say one thing. You know what? Why don't we have Andre and um, Dwight kick us off with adios muchachos. I like that. What do you think, honey? Let's do it. All right. Adios muchachos. Nice. 
Adios, muchachos. Oh, oh. oh. oh.